You're not seeing the balls off you. Balls? Seriously? Is that a trick question? I'll take me eye off them for one minute and they're gone. It's like they've got a life for their own. <laughs> That's an image I didn't want in my head. I do miss you, Kirk Sutherland. Come on, Kirky. <laughs> so, you were saying? Oh, yeah. Um, do you have Joe Foles number? I seem to have deleted it. Yeah, I'm sure I can dig it out. Don't worry, I'm not setting up a rival factory or out. You know, you'll still be king of the knickers. <laughs> That's good to know, isn't it? To episode 111 of the Talk of the Street, another official Coronation Street catch-up podcast that isn't committed either way, but is happy to admit to being curious about having a goal in Kirk's balls. I'm Gavin. And every day I'm shuffling. Every day you're shoveling. Shuffling. Shuffling? Yeah. I'm quoting a song. It's okay. alright. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but every day I am shuffling. I'm shuffling here and I'm shuffling there. I was shuffling out in the woods with a million mosquitoes the other day. <laughs> yeah, m- most of which are now in the bath. <laughs> so thanks for bringing that home. It's mostly the dirt that I brought back with me. There yeah. aren't any mosquitoes in the in the bath, are there? I don't know. I assume there's at least. That would be terrifying. At least a few. <laughs> Bad enough when you open the sho- open the shower curtain and there's an occasional spider hanging out there. Saying hello, welcome. I just Enjoy leave them alone bath. now. I'll leave them alone now. I tend to leave them alone unless they're like dangling right there, and then like I'll splash them with water and they'll scurry up <laughs> to the to the top again. Because apparently, it's good to have a house spider. It's good to have at least one house spider. I don't think it's good to have like a colony of house spiders, but it's it's good to have at least one around the house to eat other bugs and. The phrase "a colony of spiders" is so disturbing. I know. I can't believe. I can't believe I said it. I can't believe those words came out of my mouth. I was sitting in here uh, the other night, and there was a spider in the ceiling right above me. Uh huh. And there was a big spider, just like a medium-sized one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd be doing, put her in the way on the computer, and I'd take a little glance up every now and again, and mm-hmm. it was still there, just hanging out <laughs> right above my head, and just. Five minutes would pass, I'm taking another little look, and hey, it's still there. Mm-hmm. Put her away, I got a little, little bit for another five minutes, look up, yep. n- no spider. <gasps> and now I'm worried. Because <laughs> where the fuck is that spider gone? And is it on me now? Because it was right above me. But if it was on me, it didn't kill me. Right. And I didn't notice. Mm. So. You may have swallowed it later, though. In well, sleep. probably that happens quite often. Yeah. I swallowed a mosquito while I was hiking. Yeah. That's how many were around me. And they don't usually get around me. But typically that's because I'm a, I'm either with you or with Stelly. Mm-hmm. And they love both of you. Right. I don't know why. I, I take the garbage out. I, don't I feel like I've said this already, but <laughs> it feels like I've said everything already. Taking the garbage out. I'm outside for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I'll get bitten three or four times. Yeah. I'm also not allergic. I mean, I got bit like a million times and not a welt on me. No welts, no itchy spots. I'm made of itchy at the moment. Of course, I think part of that is that 
I came home and immediately jumped in the shower and didn't didn't scratch anything, didn't itch anything, didn't rub anything. So that's what she said. <laughs> so you've been otherwise good, good. You as know, as we approach August. Oh God, <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? I don't know. I'm starting to worry about uh, how we how we get the kids home from their summer. And I'm I'm worried about school, although I've already told the school that, that R2 would be two of the ones that would do remote learning, since we are privileged to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, and there's no way in hell I'm putting one of my kids in a school. Oh, God, no. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Schools are petri dishes of death and disease At anyway. the best of times. In the best of times. Every year, every year when the kids go back to school, I get sick. Because yeah, they bring and, something home and, and wipe it all over us. And our teacher friend, Mark Baker, he said something similar last year. Mm-hmm. When the kids went back, he says, I always catch something the first week. Yep. Yeah, when I worked, when I was a school librarian, you know, like every other month I would be sick. But there's one thing about catching something last year and catching something this year that could kill you. Right. <laughs> and I mean, so many of the teachers in, in our school district are, you know, 60 or above. And quite a few of them are battling cancer already, even some younger than 60. Like Miss Ellis, Stelly's a tag teacher last year whose son plays with Benny on soccer. And uh, Mr. Borsma who is one of Benny's favorite teachers of all time, is still battling cancer. So I just, I I don't want our kids to be responsible for killing somebody. Mm -hmm. So I'm keeping them home. Well, any more people. Right. Well, I'm I'm sure they've been indirectly responsible for at least a few deaths, (laughs) but... Aren't we all? Yeah, let's try and draw a line under that. Right, yeah, as as much as possible, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. A little tired. Yeah. yeah. Been quite busy at work. Yeah. Oofed. Yeah. Yeah. Work's made me swear quite a bit this week. <laughs> <laughs> Already spending most of my time in Microsoft Teams meetings, and that's just got elevated this week, which. Yes. That isn't great. And wasn't even helped by me walking into the room wearing just my underwear right. the other day <laughs> to get you coffee. Yeah. Nobody saw me. Nobody got a show. Well, I switched the Except video Except for you. Off. I was like, why? Because normally you can tell if I'm in a meeting. I'm right. Like... And you weren't talking, so I assumed you weren't in a meeting. Well, half of, half of being in a meeting is listening. <laughs> and that's what I was doing at that point. But you can see my, my screen. If that screen's on, then I'm in the meeting. Yeah. I don't always catch the screen, though. It was like you deliberately wanted to flaunt your stuff. <laughs> that's what it looked like. Well, that's not... That's not. And as Audrey proved later oh, on in the evening... No denial. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. I did not. And nobody could see me because of the way you have that thing angled. You didn't they know can, that. They can barely see you. <laughs> they can just see the top of my head. <laughs> As Audrey proved. As, as as Audrey proved when, you know, you were talking to her later and she said, Helen, oh, come closer. Right 
Was it? Mm-hmm. Oh. No, because the yeah, it was a blonde like... person. Ryan doesn't have blonde hair. Oh, hang on. Oh. Sorry. That's fine. Why did I think it was Audrey? I don't know. Neither of them listened to this, so it's, it's absolutely fine. You can call whatever the fuck you like. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give me some of that educational coding news. Recasting alert. Oh. The character, Todd Grimshaw, is due to return to the cobbles. However, he will be wearing a different head. Yes, he will. Bruno Langley will not reprise his role due to the fact that he is a sex offender. <laughs> I'm fine while laughing at that. I don't think it was, it was your delivery that was making me laugh. Yes. Not the fact that, yes. I can make anything funny. You're welcome. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Paula Tilbrook, the actor who played Estelle Plimpton, Olive Taylor Brown, and Vivian Barford, has died. She was 89. And finally, that shit rag, The Sun, has publicly <laughs> apologized to Mikey North for falsely reporting that he kissed Alison King. Still no apology forthcoming for King, perhaps because she's not the one who has threatened to sue them. Great. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. Yeah, The Sun is a, a shit rag. piece of shit. Yeah. Don't buy The Absolute sun. garbage. Don't buy The Sun. Yeah, don't use it for Corey News either. Because it's typically false. It's it's funny because I was uh, trying to look up some of the details about it last night, and I googled "the sun apologizes," and they do most of their time. They do <laughs> most of their time is taken with apologizing to people because they are always wrong. The apologies typically are. Yeah, they're not great apologies. And they're in small type. Right. And they're hidden away in the corner of the paper. Oh, sorry. Did I do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck them. And that's great news. Our mailbag. <clears throat> Canadian Helen wrote in to say, I just had to comment about mosquitoes. I'm also a mosquito magnet. One time it was so bad that I had a mosquito bite that was the size of a silver dollar. The only thing that works for me is staying in sight. <laughs> and that's what's working for me this summer. <laughs> I've normally got a bit of a tan by this point in the year. and I, You are very pasty. I'm very pasty. Well, you're pink and pasty. Mm-hmm. In bits. And then Tina wrote in, Hi, I've been watching Celebrity Gogglebox and Maureen Lippman has been on it with one of her friends. Georgia Taylor has also been on. They have both been wonderful. I thought I'd share some things Maureen has said that have made me love her even more. Things she has said she has never done. One, she's never shaved her legs. Two, she's never been to Ikea. And three, she's never had a hamburger. Naked Attraction is a show where you get to meet potential partners by seeing them lined up naked from the waist down. You make a choice based on that. Then when the couples meet for the first time, both are naked. <clears throat> wait, wait, wait. What? This is what the show is, Naked Attraction. This is a thing. Talking about Naked Attraction, Maureen said, please show me his genitalia before he says a word. And when they're watching Thelma and Louise, when Louise says, saves Thelma, and then the rapist says nasty things to her, Maureen says in a whispered, intense voice, shoot him. I haven't watched tonight's episode. She has been brilliant, and I will miss pretending that we're friends watching TV together. Hope you're both having a lovely week and enjoy the weekend. Oh, well, nice. thank you, Tina. I don't know if we can get a celebrity Google box. Google box over here. If we fannied about for long enough on that VPN, probably. Yes, probably could. However, <clears throat> there's so much content that we can access easily. So we'll probably be sticking to that for the most part. And I'm currently down another rabbit hole on YouTube. Yes. Where I, I plan to be for the next few hours at least. Mm, fun. Watching not, no more jockeys. No more jockeys. 
It's an interesting little game. Yes. Where Tim Key, Mark Watson, and uh, little Alex Horn from Taskmaster, they're on a, a little Zoom call, and the point of the game is you say a famous person's name. It could be a fictitious person. Mm-hmm. So you could say the violinist Nigel Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And then you say a category that that person is in that you can no longer list any other people who are also in that category. Right. So you could say, Nigel Kennedy, no more people who have a surname shared with a US president. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you could not say the snooker player Dennis Taylor, for example. And the longer this goes on, the more difficult it becomes to think of a person. It becomes more and more restrictive. Because mm-hmm. you're with no more Americans. Right. No more people over 40. Right. No more people with a lovely head of hair. All that sort of stuff. <laughs> and it's good fun. And it inspires uh, little debates between the, the three comedians. I think it'd be fun to do on a road trip. Mm-hmm. If we're on the road with the kids for right. 12 hours. Yeah. We could kill an hour playing this, I think. Yeah, apparently there was a huge argument about Penelope yeah. Pitstop. Yeah, whether she wore gloves and wore gloves as part of her job. Mm. Because one of the restrictions was no job gloves. No job gloves. But they came to the conclusion that, yes, Penelope Pitstop is a professional driver. And she wears and she gloves. Wears gloves. Yes. So therefore, you're yes. out. You've also <clears throat> been watching a uh, drag queen named Granny play video games Granny on Twitch. Granny on Twitch is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a real granny. No, no, she's a drag queen. And I think she's New Zealander. But she puts on a Mrs. Doubtfire type Scottish, Scottish accent. accent. Yeah, That's which is delightful. So she's playing uh, Dead by Daylight, which mm-hmm. is a pretty violent Friday the 13th style stalker game. Right. As a grandmother. <laughs> as, a, as a delightful grandmother. Yes. So funny. <laughs> anyway, hindsight corner. A blue, 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 blue. Chewing up the scenery. Mm-hmm. I kind of had a little mini debate about this last week, yeah. whether it was a positive or a negative thing, yeah. and it, it's kind of both. Right. Looking it up, I think it was on uh, the Oxford Dictionary, to chew up the scenery means to overact, over-emote, or to ham it up, but sometimes it's applied almost as praise, suggesting an actor who is energetic and spirited. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't help at all. No. And now this... Welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Freak Magnet. Sure. This was Maria attracting some questionable suitors that week. Oh. Remember? To hilarious, and every week. To hilarious effect. I was Gavin and you were knackered. This was a week that you spent almost every waking hour in someone else's house. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at all the posts that I made on Facebook last week, last year. Yeah, this was this was the week that I um, that we there was a uh, estate auction right up the like, just around the corner from us, and there was a lot of stuff left over, and the auctioneer paid me to 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 clear it out and take everything for free that I wanted and and uh, 
and resell or, or and, and do his job for him. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't a great idea. It was fun for a while. It was exhausting, and I probably wouldn't do it again. And if I did do it again, I would ask for more money. But it was, you know, it was an experience. And I do love that house. And it seems like a really nice family has moved into it since. Oh, nice. Stelly tells me their kids are nice and the mom is nice because our my child is like the ambassador of the neighborhood. So. <laughs> and I, we still have stuff from that house in this house. Some some that we want to keep and, and, and some that I just haven't been able to offload yet. Hmm. Hmm. Eileen's history with Dodgy Builders looks set to continue as Liz digs up some dirt on Jan, who turns out to be Polish after all, which kind of surprised us. Yes. D.S. Beckett. Remember <laughs> D.S. Beckett? I do. I long for the days of D.S. Beckett. <laughs> D.S. Beckett is keen to remind us all that the roof collapse happened four months ago and a girl died and no one has been brought to justice, which gets Nick's and Gary's knickers in varying knotted states and mugs may or may not go missing and unreported. Yeah, we still don't have justice for Anna, so no. well done. Hashtag justice for Anna. Roy's wiring is still in a bit of a fankle, so he moves in with Tyrone, much to Evelyn's chagrin, who thinks Roy has his eyes on her unmentionables. The Micker people realise they're actually packing people and are keen to get the factory back up and running again, but because they're now shareholders, they're not going to have to forgo their bonus to pay for the repairs, and Beth is not happy about this development, and she has Love Island plans for her money. <laughs> for Ches and Gemma, stuff also happens. Moment of the week was Evelyn and Roy getting a confession out of Larry, and... Boring moment of the week was Chesney explaining a partition down the middle of the living room. And that was the talk of the street and Cornish Street this time last, last year. year. Shall we dive in, Medea? Yes, please. <clears throat> our first storyline tonight... <clears throat> is this morning. This morning is our last storyline. So let's start with the stuff about Oliver. Aw. Mm. Mm. On Monday, the therapy thing has gone well. It's funny that there's stuff. there's lots of stuff about Oliver this week. But no Oliver. We don't actually get to see Oliver this week. And there isn't actually an awful lot about Oliver. Yeah. It's just Monday. No. There was stuff last night about the fostering and and telling Leanne about the fostering and stuff. That was Friday. Wasn't it? No. Oh. I've got to stop watching them all together on the same night. And at one o'clock in the morning. It wasn't one o'clock in the morning. Oh no, you were early this week. Yeah. So, so screw you. So she's been looking at it. She's been looking at it all wrong. She has been. She's been looking at it all wrong, treating Oliver as if he's dead already. No one knows how long they have and people define medicine all the time. Who knows what the future holds? And Nick isn't so sure but keeps his mouth shut because it seems like Leanne has accepted this but she's still mm -hmm. kind of been very optimistic. Yeah, maybe a little too optimistic. Mm -hmm. mm. What do you see? Nothing. Later, Toya and Imran are around and are pleased to hear of Leanne's change of heart and Imran says that he wishes he had treasured each moment with Rana more than he did. Leanne thinks that she's lucky because she knows she has to cherish this time and she's determined to remain positive and she thinks going on holiday is a great idea and she's glad that Steve hasn't cancelled it so they're going to crack on with that. Nick tries to urge caution but Leanne will not be dissuaded. No, she won't. Outside, Imran tells Nick that he isn't sure about the holiday. Nick thinks they shouldn't put their lives on hold and Imran explains that this is exactly what he and Toy are doing and he tells Nick about the fostering and how all that's on hold. 
and one reveals that maybe now would be a, a decent time to talk to Leanne about this and Nick is understanding and appreciative and thinks Toya and Leanne should get together and talk about it. Back home, Nick and Toya are chatting and Nick mentions the fostering thing. He thinks it's a great idea but she thinks it's not fair on Leanne. Leanne comes back and assumes that they're talking about the holiday being a bad idea so Toya is forced to admit about the fostering thing. Because that's what's called now, the fostering thing. Yeah, finally. Leanne wants to know why she changed her mind. She didn't want to get in her way. Toya didn't want to bring home a child when Leanne was maybe losing hers. Leanne says the timing is rubbish, but if she wants to foster, then she absolutely should. But she says this with tears in her eyes. So that's nice. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's, nice. it's nice that it's out. It's nice that Leanne is being nice about it. It's nice that the sisters are getting along again. It's just nice. I I appreciate I appreciate it. So we're going down the fostering route then. Yes, thank goodness. That's what this show needs: more children. That no, doesn't. It really doesn't because it doesn't know what to do with any of them, and that's how we end up in this situation where we have a dying child that we don't care about. Yeah, but we also have another child in another storyline doing. An awful lot of the heavy lifting for that storyline this week and doing a very good job. So it evens out. No wondering what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking Surely about. Surely not Jack. Yes, I'm talking about Jack. Oh, he does dear. a great job. Oh. He's adorable. And I love his wee speech. Continue. <clears throat> Let's talk now about the twins down under. Okay. Well, <clears throat> see, there we go. It doesn't seem like we talked about that for very long. Well, what, much, what, what more can we say about a child dying on a television show, fictitiously, that we haven't really been allowed to give any sort of emotional investment to in his short life? There's not much more we can say at this point. Well, the, the emotion, I think, comes from Leanne's reaction and yes. Nick's reaction and... Leanne being... I, I really appreciate it. it. Leanne, it seems to be in a much better place, and I really appreciate it. <clears throat> Is she? Like, I expected, I expected when um, Imran said something about Rana, that she was going to blow up and say, it's not the same thing, even though he did say it's not quite the same thing. But instead, there was this beautiful moment of empathy between the two of them. So I think she is healing, and she is getting better. Do I think that this vacation will be disastrous? Probably. Yes. But, you know, it is what it is. Okay, now we can talk about the twins down under. On Monday at the garage, Abby asks after the twins. She hopes that they're well looked after, and Kev thinks that they are, because last week there was a breakdown. Right. But not like that, where yes. Kev went and... Yes, he saw the twins. And saw the twins. With are, a kangaroo. Don't they, don't they need to come and pick up that car? So wouldn't, she, wouldn't they have seen him... Unless the dude comes by himself to pick up the car, but somebody needs to come and pick up that car. Yes? I think we're to assume it's been fixed. Right, but if it's been fixed, somebody needs to pick it up after it's been fixed, yes? Or is Kev going to drive it to the guy's house or something? No, he would normally get picked up. Yeah. I don't know. This is This is one of the many things... The show just kind of glazes over. We'll gloss over this bit, yeah. Yeah. Abby just wants them to be happy until Kev reveals that they're actually all flitting to Australia. Mm -hmm. 
In the Rovers, Abby thinks that this might be for the best. There's so many opportunities uh, in Oz. Kev thinks maybe she should have a visit with them before they leave, but Abby is not sure if that's what she wants to do. On Wednesday, Kev wants to know if Abby's had any further thoughts about the twins, but Abby seems to have made her mind up. Along comes Seb, who wants a word and a hairband, but Abby says that she's too busy and rushes off, leaving Kev to explain that Abby will tell him what's up with her in her own good time. But Seb's not really wanting to wait, and later he grabs Abby back at the garage, and he refuses to leave until she tells him what's up, and Kev's told him that there's something. Abby tells him about the twins moving to Australia. Seb wants to stop them. Abby says it's not up to them, it's up to their parents, and he says that he hates it when, he use, when she uses that word like that, and so he decides that he's going to call social services. He has to see them before they go. Mm, which is understandable. It's funny that he thinks that he, that he is able to stop them. Right. And ship it sailed, sir. Yeah, we're kind of going back to the kind of ridiculously childish and right it's it because he hasn't moronic. because he hasn't really there's there's nothing to indicate that he has kept in touch with them well they haven't i think that's part of the whole thing it's that well they, abby they, they hasn't or they shouldn't well it's possible it's possible too you know because they are aware of who their birth parents birth mother is and their and their brother so it's quite possible that they would have been allowed to stay in contact and it's it's interesting that seb decided not to stay in contact but now all of a sudden wants to be in contact again now that they're moving to australia i mean he would have perfectly kept going on bouncing from girlfriend to girlfriend (laughs) without a care in the world Mm -hmm. true yeah. At home, Abby's on what looks like one of those little free tablet things that we got with the phones that we bought about eight years ago. Remember that tablet? Oh, I think yeah. it was Kodak. It was a piece of shit. Yeah. It broke very quickly. Yes. Anyway, she's looking at baby folks of the twins. Seb comes in and says the adoptive parents have said that they can see the twins. Abby remembers being told uh, what she was doing by giving them up was a brave, considerate act, accepting that she can't offer what was the best for them. She thinks of them every day, but she buries those thoughts so she can get on with her life. This is not about what she wants. Seb says, well, what about what he wants? Nobody fucking cares what you want, Seb. <laughs> he urges her to change her mind uh, because if the twins grow up in Australia thinking that she never cared because she let them leave. In the garage, Abby explains the new details uh, and that she and Seb are off in an hour to say toodle pip because apparently... Seb's speech was enough to make her change her mind, although we didn't really see that happen. No. Abby knows people judge her, and she can't rid herself of the shame of giving up her own kids. She gave them such a bad start, but Kev thinks that they're happy now, and the new parents must agree, or they'd never let her see them again. Then Abby and Seb are waiting at the social services. She's worried that twins won't recognise her, and then she thinks that she's made a terrible mistake by coming along. This is not about you, says Seb, who was happy earlier to make it all about him. But Abby is genuinely having a crisis about this and doesn't know if she can go through with it. And we have to wait to Friday to see Seb trying to talk Abby down. She, uh, he asks her to be part of the family and says that this is the old Abby talking. But Abby is having none of it and she runs away. Yes. And she goes back to the work and avoids Kev's questions about how it went with the twins. And the garage phone goes as Abby gets ready to do something technical to a car. And then later there's a peculiar conversation as Kev and Abby walk out of the garage at the end of the day. It seems Jack is on the phone wanting Abby's help to write a rap song about palm oil. Abby agrees and Kev thinks Jack has her wrapped around his finger. 
and Abby says that she loves the kid to bits just as Seb walks out of the cabin. Nice to know you love at least one kid on the planet, he says. What's his fucking problem? He got to see the twins. Right. And she still loves him and she still loves the twins, but he doesn't think she loves the twins. No. So Abby has to admit to Kev that she couldn't face it. And Seb is his usual Seb self, calling Abby cowardly and pathetic and how he regrets the fact that Abby is his mum every day. And she apologises. Seb thinks it's too late. She says seeing the twins would be opening up old wounds and she'd said goodbye to them a long time ago. Seb says goodbye to her now, saying this is something that he should have done a long time ago too. (sighs) This is why we don't like Seb. (laughs) He's just so emotionally stunted. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess that's believable for somebody who had to grow up very fast and very quick to take care of his... Oh, that's true, I guess. ...his his siblings and stuff. Uh, But still, it's just every time you think that maybe there's been some emotional growth there... Which it looked like there had been, maybe, a little bit, kind of, It takes, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Mm -hmm. And it gets old fast. And then... Back home. Uh. All right, the rap wasn't good. Jack is rapping about orangutans while we're all singing other wee songs in our heads to kind of cover it up. <laughs> I just don't like... I don't like people rapping anyway if they're not a rapper. Because it's not just talking. You have to be kind of good at it to make it work. Right, yeah. And rhythmically, it's just all over the place. And it's very hard to rap about orangutans. Even though those orangutans are the species most affected by um, the collection of palm oil. Mm-hmm. Abby and Kev, though, think that it's mint. Right. <clears throat> of course they do. And it's all thanks to Abby's help. Kev is very appreciative, but Abby is still bothered by the twins thing. Kev thinks that she needs to move on and Seb will eventually come round. Abby isn't so sure, thinking she really has let him down this thing. And then later, Jack is down giving Abby a wee pep talk. Abby doesn't know what she would do without Kev and Abby... No, Abby doesn't know what she would do without Kevin Jack in her life. And then Kev asks Abby to move in, which Jack thinks is a brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. And so Abby therefore agrees. Yay, Abby's going to finally move in with Kevin Jack. How do you think that's going to go? Initially well, in time, terribly. (laughs) I do like the family dynamic of of Jack and, and Kev and Abby, though. I love Abby. Abby's one of my favorite characters. And I feel like Jack is really healing for her. Um, just, it annoys me so much, this this whole sub thing and the fact that their relationship is now in the shitter again. You know, because it took so long to build it back up. Just to have it all come crashing down because of one accidental sighting of the twins and the dad just happening to, you know, say that they're moving to Australia. Right, because otherwise they would never have known. No. And it's unlikely to have got in touch to say, oh, by the way... We're moving to Australia. Mm-hmm. Unlikely to have happened. Kind of proves that Abby does have maternal qualities. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's just that she made such a mess of the right. first three. And, and she knew at the time, because remember, at the time, she was not the Abby we see before us now. No, she was a junkie. Yeah, she was she was still using on occasion. She was stressed out. It, part of the reason why she was using is because she felt like such a bad mother 
and everything and had a lot of guilt and stuff. She didn't have secure she didn't have a secure place to live. She didn't have a secure job necessarily because this was back and forth when she was working for Kev and then she wasn't working for Kev. Oh, even before that. Yeah. <clears throat> so you know, she's in a much better place now, but you have to remember that she wasn't at the time and it was a really huge and brave thing to do. I'm glad that she is moving. I I think the time had come for her to move out of Sally and Tim's because, you know, it's, it's, it's not like she's really involved in the Sally and Tim and Tim's dad storyline. She's rarely there anymore. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for her to move on. Yep. And will I miss, you know, the funny jokes like her borrowing the batteries? Yeah. <laughs> she can still do that. Yeah. I guess it's nice that she's moving into one of the few houses on the street that aren't crowded. Isn't multiple family occupied. Right. <laughs> There's no roommates. Right. I'll tell you what, Jack's grown. Yes, he has. He's like like a, a foot taller. Doing quite well on that false leg, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which everything that he seems to have forgotten about, because he's not even... He was able to sway about as he was doing his little rap, which was quite yeah. accommodating. Yeah. He's not even moving like he has a pretend false leg anymore. Maybe, maybe he can do that with a false leg. What was it? It was below the knee? It was below the knee, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> Next up. The ginger villain. <laughs> <laughs> because remember, Gary's a villain. Mm. And apparently quite scary. If you say so. On Monday, Gary is on the phone to Sarah explaining that he's putting the rent on the factory up and it's not unreasonable and just fucking shut up and pay me, alright? And he gives her two weeks notice. Yeah, and he doesn't, you know, he cares about Oliver, but he doesn't. Really. I don't fucking care. Right. So this is all on the back of seemingly Laura the Chin demanding more money, more money from him, and he's from Rick the Chin, who's who's dead. Rick's, Rick the yeah. Chin's money and isn't making enough money from the furniture thing, right? To pay Laura, to pay, to Laura. pay Fizz, to pay the rent on the furniture place, and to buy the flat. furniture and pay for his flat and keep Maria happy. Right. So Laura the Chin and Adam are in the Rovers enjoying a drink. She compliments him. She'd never have gone this uh, far if it hadn't been for Adam's sterling advice. Kelly's still taking it hard, giving that her dad fucked off without so much as a buy your leave. But still, at least she's getting paid, and that's all that she's really bothered about. That's all that Laura is really bothered about. Mm-hmm. Adam tries to dig into this, but Laura is vague when she talks about who she has to deal with, so Gary's name is not mentioned. And number eight, Sarah's thrown kitchenware around when Adam comes in. She tells him that even though he knows about Oliver, Gary has chosen this moment to raise the rent on the knicker factory, and Adam's intrigued by this. They smooch, and Sarah picks up that Adam has been in the pub, but Adam says he was seeing a client and he got a couple of pints for him and Daniel, who never showed up. So he's already lying to his wife. Yeah, yeah, already lying to his wife. And for as much time as Adam and Laura are in the Rovers or in Roy's together... How is it that nobody has spoken on this yet? Like, been seen by everyone that they know. Right. Seriously. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Absolutely, Timbot. I have a feeling you're going to be saying that (laughs) quite often this episode. Yeah, it doesn't really... They're not subtle. 
Right. They're clearly not talking about business. Right. Well, they are talking about business, but they're yeah. clearly... They're, they're she especially is, is clearly now. flirting with him. Right. After he'd done a power of flirting. Right. And also, her daughter, Kelly, is friends or acquaintances with Amy, who is related to Adam. Surely this has come up in conversation. <laughs> I don't know. You think... <clears throat> On Wednesday, Paul and Kirk are loading the work van when Kirk offers Paul a go on his balls. <laughs> but not like that. He has uh, those kind of Chinese... Yeah, the I Ching balls. Worry balls? Worry balls, I think they are. You're supposed to grind your balls together. Well, you're supposed to, like, swirl them around and try not to have them touch. Oh, I thought you were meant to grind grind those balls together. No, you're supposed to like kind of have them in your hand and swirl them around, and and occasionally they'll brush against one another, and they'll be like a a very calming like ting sort of thing. But yeah, you can demonstrate that later. <laughs> yeah. Don't I don't think it works with Scottish ones. I think they have to be Chinese. Well, that's going to present a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Gary sidles along, wanting to know where Sarah's got to, but then along comes Adam, who thinks Gary is scum. Subhuman scum for up in the rent when Sarah's frantic about Oliver. Sarah frantic? She's not really that frantic about Oliver, is she? Well. I guess she she cares. She cares. And Nick is frantic about Oliver. And Nick also is affected by the rent being raised. This is true. Adam says that he should knock Gary's block off. And Gary chuckles and then suggests that maybe he should just double the rent. What did you think about that, you dick? Yeah. Later. Kirk can think of nothing other than his corned beef. So we've moved on from balls then. Briefly. Adam walks by on the phone to Sarah, urging her to stand up to Gary, but she hangs up on him. Imran comes out of Roy's rolls and the two of them chat briefly about the scoundrel Windass, who Adam is now convinced is up to something dodgy. Although, to be fair, he was convinced of that. Yeah. Some time ago. Really, what was your first clue there? In the pub. Emma and Scott are talking about barge holidays and massive sunglasses. Then down comes <laughs> Peter complaining about Tracy and then goes on to tell a convoluted story about Amy wanting trainers. Tracy telling her to bolt. Amy then going to Peter. Peter telling her to bolt. And then Carla saying, oh, what's 60 quid? And then Tracy accusing Peter and Carla are turning Amy into a brat. Peter wants nothing to do with this. This is all Carla. And then Scott pipes up to agree with Tracy and is surprised that Peter would throw his missus under the bus like that. Buying a pair of shoes for a child turns them into a brat. Peter tells Scott to wind his fucking neck in. Yes. And then later in the back room... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I still, don't, I still don't understand why... I mean, is this something she, she, she needs? Are her old trainers kind of wearing thin? I think is it a special brand? Because 60 quid sounds pretty reasonable for a pair of sneakers. What would we pay? Probably pay... About 60 bucks. 60, 80 bucks, yeah. yeah. My, my sketchers were probably about 80. Yeah. It's probably what's about 60 quid. Right. So I don't I don't see... It's not like she was asking for tickets to a rock concert or something or Ooh, a tiara. A rock concert. I or, think the insinuation was that she was a bit down in the dumps about the Oliver thing. Uh-huh. And this would maybe cheer her up. Right. So how on earth is she a brat? 
This is. Oh, I did it wrong again. How can how you manage to just not be able to hit a button? I don't know. And then we'll have to come at you. Because you fucked up. I did fuck it up. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. But Precisely. It, but it doesn't need to compute. Because it's it's not really about that. Right, yeah. It's just a lame story to get uh, Peter and story. Scott to... to come to, come to log heads. heads a little bit. Yes. Because in the background, Peter tells Scott that he was out of order. But Scott is not moved by this. No. And is fucking about on his phone and continues mm. to do that. And is just surprised uh, to learn that Peter doesn't have Carla's back. He accuses Peter of refusing to stick his neck out for his missus. Like that time those two smackheads came in. Scott heard from the two... <clears throat> Scott heard that the two of them had it coming, but Peter was happy to do nothing and let them get away with it. Yeah. And Peter's kind of... Oh. But Carla told him not to. Yeah. And got mad when he th- when she thought that he... Had done something. Had done something. Mm-hmm. So he knows Carla. He knows better. But this is all just so we find out that Scott was in fact the one who, who bashed Scottish Vicky and her friend right. in the head. I miss Scottish Vicky. I was hoping she would say a lo- uh, stick around a bit longer. Yep. Oh well. This seems to be in and out. It's almost like... <laughs> The nickname deserved like a little bit more, didn't it? Yeah. Because it was good. I'm kind of starting to regret not holding on to it a little bit longer. Right. Oh, well. At the factory, Kirk has lost his balls, while Nick has asked Sarah to do something about Gary. In comes Carla, who used to work at the factory, but doesn't currently work at the factory. No. She's looking for Joe Flo's, uh, Joe LaFlo's number from mm-hmm. Nick. Remember her? She's not uh, setting up a rival business. He'll still be king of the knickers. But she's bored pulling pints and looking for something more taxing. Mm-hmm. Nick may just have the perfect proposition for her. Ooh. So on Friday, Laura the Chin drops in at the furniture place. She's finally been paid and she thinks Gary has been well trained by Rick the Chin. He's kind of um, nobody's monkey. Right. But she knows the game and she knows how to play it. And Gary hasn't a fucking clue how to handle her. After she's done, she calls Adam and arranges to meet him in the rovers later. So Carla's chatting away with the knicker people when Sarah, who doesn't know Carla works at the factory and sees that Carla is in the factory, wants to know why Carla's in the factory. Carla says that she works at the factory. She's standing in for Nick while he takes some time off. Sarah wants an argument about this, which Carla thinks they should do when they're not in front of the knicker people. So off they go to the office. Mm-hmm. And Kirk's thinking, oh no, I think it was Sean that says things are about to start getting heated up here. I know, Sean, Sean just loves it. Sean loves a cat fight. drama. He does. In the pub, Laura the Chin tells Adam that Rick the Chin has finally come through with some money. Adam quiddies her about the transaction, which Laura is a bit suspicious of. Sarah calls Adam, but he dings the call. Laura explains about the Dropbox and the Minion, but doesn't mention Gary by name again. Which is weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird that she's she's keeping this information? Yeah, it's, like, it's that bloke that's got the furniture thing that's just yeah. in the street. Yeah, why is she? Why wouldn't she? Why? Because she's happy to talk about getting the money. Do you think she's actually stringing Adam along? That she's aware that Adam has a wife and uh, and and everything, and is just using him for company. I never really thought about that. Let maybe me think she's about that. maybe she's smarter than she looks. Uh, that would suggest multi-layering. Hmm. I'm not sure then. I don't know. I mean, she was married to Rick the Chin, so she must have. It makes her a little bit shady on by association, doesn't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. Mm. Got you knew what he was up to. Yeah, she well, had to have. To at least some mm. degree. 
In the pub, oh no, I've just said that. Meanwhile, in the back room, Jenny is reading Johnny the Riot Act over the phone. And if you're not back home soon, you might not have a wife to come back to. Then in comes Peter, who's curious as to how Scott knows Johnny and how Scott has got on his bad side. Jenny wants him to go easy on Scott because he's the perfect guest. Meanwhile, in the factory, Carlotte's astonished that they signed up to this contract with Gary and wants to run it by her solicitor, saying that Adam was shite, which I don't disbelieve. No. Because Sarah's like, oh, well... That's my husband you're talking about. Yeah. Great. Fine. And that's probably why you haven't uh, tried to sue him (laughs) for this pish. Carla thinks that they'll be lucky to last a year at this rate. Well, what do we do, asks Sarah. Carla says they stall and then they claim unfair rent at a tribunal. The fight has just begun, but going forward, Carla wants to be in charge of it all, and Sarah reluctantly agrees. Yeah. Quite a lot crammed into that. That was mm-hmm. probably... It probably felt... I like Carla being separate. back at the factory. I like Carla being back at the factory. She belongs there. But if we ever needed proof that everyone's forgotten about the roof collapse, <laughs> remember, everyone, especially Beth, especially Beth... We don't see very. Uh, we haven't seen an awful lot of Beth lately. Have you noticed? We saw her this week and she wasn't happy, but we didn't realize. Or we didn't find out what she wasn't really unhappy about. Right. Oh. Unless again, it's just Oliver. Why would she be bothered about that? Uh, because because Sinead died. Now there's another death, and everybody is affected by death. It's it's like Imran, you know, and Rana. And Jenny and her baby who died and everything. I just seem to remember Beth having a real problem with Carla. And all the knicker people didn't want anything to do with her. Right. And then when she went to Lally and wandered off and came back and it was her idea to turn it into the turn them into packing people. Right. But remember then she also gave her shares of the factory to them and so that and Beth now has a share. Oh, she sold her, remember? She's the only one who isn't a shareholder anymore. I thought she bought um, some back from somebody, didn't she? I don't think so. Yeah. But we still don't know what happened to Sinead's shares. Yeah. Anyway, it seems like they made peace because she let... Well, um, clearly it's all She forgiven. let Carla sell Sinead's beard oil, remember? Beard oil. So. Eh, that, that's I, I not like... a thing anymore. I think it is because occasionally she'll come in and and um, hand an invoice to Daniel about how much of the beard oil she sold and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I just like Carla being back in the factory. I think that's where she belongs. Although it's fun watching her pull pints. I think she's her talent is wasted there. And what? and the knicker people seemed to welcome her back. She's she's a born leader. Pulling pints in the Rovers does put you into several other storylines, as has been seen with Jenny and Johnny. Right. But it makes it somewhat more difficult to have a storyline of your own if right. you're spending all your And Jenny is back now, so she doesn't pints. need to be pulling pints. Yeah, so it's... I'm curious as to why Peter is still pulling pints, but that's all right. Are they still living there? I think so, I yeah. I think so, yeah. Okay, we just have a couple of scenes then about uh, Michael and Grace. Aggie's with Grace at Roy's Rolls. 
she knows that she and Grace will never be friends. She calls herself a lighthouse parent, whatever the fuck that means. But she knows Grace cares for Michael and Michael wants to be a good dad. Aggie says Michael is himself when Grace is around and she thinks Grace may be good for him. If she wants to be with him and is keeping her distance because of Aggie, she's making a mistake, says mm-hmm. Aggie. Yes. Then later, Michael is on the couch having a wank. Um, having <laughs> no. No, he's having a wee sing-song to himself. Yes, he's singing Unbreak My Heart Unbreak badly. My heart, which was, again... <laughs> in the Jack kind of realms of <laughs> of cringe, and of it's course he has his eyes shut until Aggie rips the headphones off him. Grace is also there. You two have a lot to talk about, Aggie says before she heads upstairs. Grace says that she's been doing some thinking and has changed her mind again, again, and again. Michael promises not to hurt her, and the two of them are now apparently going out together again. Grace smiles broadly until Michael goes upstairs for a shot, and then she starts to do that five-second smile fade thing where she doesn't look like she's all that happy after all. Mm. Maybe she's just worried that he might fall into old habits. Which is fair. Well, he's got his job now. Having a job... He's not trying to like, sell unicorn farts or whatever it was he was doing before. That's true, but... That's... I still don't think I care. Hmm. I think it was, I think, because we kind of predicted that Aggie was going to to talk to Grace. Yes. And we were concerned that it was going to go badly. And it seems to not have gone badly. So that's good. Yeah, she's helped. Yes. Michael should still move out of that house, though. Absolutely. (laughs) How about Daniel's Hole? Is that interesting? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) On Wednesday... Daniel has smelled Adam's aftershave from across the street and sees him outside Roy's Rolls. He asks Adam to look after Bertie for the afternoon, but Adam has got too much on and not just in terms of his cologne. Wah, wah. That was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, sure. Daniel explains that he was hoping to meet some uni friends, but really he was wanting to get his hole with that Nicky again. But later... How does he have the money for this? How does he have the money to pay a, well, a sex worker? We kind of we find out a little bit about that mm. later on. Later it seems that Bertie has been dumped with Ken, who has subcontracted the babysitting on to Tracy, who's not happy about it, and tries to sub-subcontract it on to Adam when he briefly comes in, leaving Tracy to her chit-chat magazine. But she seems to be complaining, but as soon as Adam leaves, she's kind of all over that bairn. Yeah, she's fine. She's kind of... I think she's she's fine. enjoying it. She's just she, trying to make she, a big deal yeah, out of it. Yeah, like, she pretends to be a hard-ass. Then on Friday, Adam is round at Daniel's, apparently when he picked up Bertie from Ken... Daniel was, to quote Ken, happy as a pig in shit. Daniel thinks Ken exaggerates, and he offers Daniel, uh, then Adam offers Daniel a job. Daniel isn't sure until Adam points out that it's all very well allowing Ken to pay for your rent and stuff, but to bankroll your social life, that's not mm. really on, and to pay for you getting your hold, basically. Yeah, not so, cool, dude. No, so Daniel uh, finally agrees. That's as far as we get with that one. Yeah, That's so he'll be doing, basically right? doing the Leanne stuff at, at the lawyer's office because Leanne is out of work because of Oliver. Mm-hmm. But this is what Daniel's doing. Yeah, yeah. He's getting Ken to pay for his 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 hookups. Unless it's a... Uh, but not, he's not specifying. He's, he's probably no. saying the money is for something else. But how how does Ken have all this money? He's retired. 
He's living on a pension. Well, he's saving a good bit of money from not being at Shady Acres anymore. That's true. But he's also Pro- not selling his house anymore. Probably Claudia's still giving him money. Mm. What I don't get, because as you said, part of that 220 mm-hmm. or whatever it was, was for the room. Right. That's not really fair. Because she then gets to stay in the hotel for for, for the rest of the day. No. Why not? It's probably paid by the hour. It didn't look like an hourly rate sort of place. Uh, how many hourly and rate sort it, of places have you been in? I haven't been in any, but I've <laughs> driven by one, and it certainly didn't look like that. And it's, it's not a thing in the UK, really. And at 200 for an hour? Plus your hole? Are are you saying are you saying that her hole isn't worth two hundred dollars? Are are you saying that that her that she is unfair in her rates that Abs- she puts? Absolutely, she's fleecing him. She is not. That's actually rather cheap. He's paying for that room for twenty four hours or at least a night. She can then go and get somebody else and charge them two hundred and say that they're paying for the room. She can, she can do this room thing. Over and over and over again. Do you think on that's the same what's night. happening? Absolutely. That's no. not job. No. That's not her job just to shag one guy. Yeah. That's her job to shag as many guys as she can. She's not going to bring another guy into a room where the bed is already all messed up and already has somebody else's gist stains on the sheets. That's not going to happen. I think you are being rather unfair to a sex worker, and, and I kind uh, of uh, take offense at this. <laughs> I don't Not care. that I'm a, but selling your body is a huge deal, and two hundred dollars is rather cheap. Which is why you need to do it more than once. It's fair. It's more than fair. She should be charging him more. Oh, for your hole and for that room. Yes. And then you're doing that again for for your hole in that room. You don't know that she's doing it again. Well, as you say, it's so cheap. How can she possibly survive on that? Who knows? If some of this money's going to the hotel. Yeah. She's not using the same room for another client. Then she for the I, reasons I explained. She and I need to have a want because her economic uh. model here for our business is just... Short to pieces. So what you're saying is you want to be her pimp. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying You at are all. digging yourself a bigger hole with everything you say. I, Let's move on. I am suggesting that I could be her financial advisor. <laughs> no. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, it's just... It's Moving on. so infuriating. It's not infuriating. You hate Daniel. That's why it's infuriating. <laughs> But you seem to be defending him, thinking that she's fleecing him. I think she is. She's not. I think she is. Anyway, that's more time than I expected to to spend on that storyline. Moving on. Our final storyline today. What, what? Tim's fucking dad. Fuck him. <laughs> on Monday, there's a horrible split screen scene where Tim's dad tells Jasmine. And it's not even an even split screen. Like one screen, it, like Tim's dad gets more screen. About two thirds. It's just, it's aesthetically, remember that wonderful one that they did with Steve and Tracy with the, with the door in between them and the split screen? Mm-hmm. 
and how great that was. That worked. That worked. This does not work. No. It's awful. And it's awful. It's just <laughs> visually and story-wise and everything, it's just awful. And they, du- they double down and they do it again on Friday. Boo to this. Boo to this twice. <laughs> yeah, boo sucks. It's... It doesn't I think I, I, I said on Twitter that the only time that this is acceptable normally mm-hmm. is when it's the the split screen drops mm-hmm. and it hilariously reveals that the two characters are actually in the same room together. Right. That's the only time that there's an excuse for doing this. Or something like with the door. Yeah, we'll, we'll give them the door. Yeah. Because it, it wasn't like because it was that an official sense. split screen. It was like you'd split the room. Right. Yeah. Using the wall or the right. door or whatever. So that worked. Yeah, this, this does not work. work. Especially it. not... Especially with, with one screen being smaller than the other. Right. The Doesn't proportions were all, yeah. were all out. And so you end up watching the scene thinking, why are they doing it like this? Yeah. Rather than listening to what's getting said. Which right. Which should have been a yeah. fairly emotionally charged scene. Absolutely. So Tim's dad tells Jasmine that he'll drop the charges if she agrees to come back to him. He tells her that he still loves her. Meanwhile... Alia is still looking for her phone. She retraces her steps and comes to the conclusion that Tim's dad stole it. Back to the call. Yasmin doesn't know why he wants that and why she should trust him. He reminds her of her drinking and spending problems and she comes back reminding him of uh, his bullying. He says it wasn't his fault and that he loves her. She knows what his version of love looks like and she wants nothing to do with it. Go fuck yourself, Tim's dad, she says. Mm -hmm. And she hangs up. Yay! So Tim's dad comes into speed dial and just brazenly hands Alia her phone back, something that he doesn't seem to have a problem with doing. He insists that he loves Yasmin and is determined to prove it. I just borrowed it, because <laughs> I wanted to speak to my wife. I have a right to speak to my wife. Where's Tim's dad from now? <laughs> Texas. Oh dear. At home, Sally and Tim are arguing about Tim's dad and Yasmin. Tim thinks that once Yasmin gets sent down, everything can go back to normal. Then yeah. Sally points out that Yasmin may not be found guilty. Erman is building a strong case. How do you know? asks Tim. Uh, because I'm part of it, says Sally. Sally can't sit back and watch Yasmin get sent down. Tim thinks this will rip the two of them apart and he leaves. Back in prison, Yasmin is having a chat with one of her fellow inmates who doesn't think Tim's dad is trustworthy. The fellow inmate always goes back to her hubby and thinks it's a self-esteem problem. Yasmin admits that a small part of her, like her duodenum or maybe a tonsil, still misses Tim's dad. Mm. So Tim's dad is talking to DCI Bangs and tells her that he wants to save his marriage and wants to drop the charges. DCI Bangs, because I can't remember what her name is, tells him that it's not up to him and that he'll be required to tell the truth on the stand. Imran is with Yasmin in a meeting room. He's spoken to the police already about Alia's phone being stolen and he tells Yasmin that Tim's dad has gone to the police asking to drop the charges. He reminds her of what Tim's dad did to her before saying that if Tim's dad doesn't testify, there's probably no case and there'll be no trial. Yasmin kind of pretends that she couldn't hear Tim's dad on the phone. She could hear. I don't know why she's keeping us to herself. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday then, at Roy's Rolls, Imran is chatting with Alia and Ryan. Maybe Tim's dad dropping the charges will work out in Yasmin's favour. Alia hates that Tim's dad is still running the show mm-hmm. and she thinks that Yasmin has the measure of Tim's dad and will never go back to him. Then, Tim's dad and Faye are hanging a basket, a little flower basket outside oh, the nice. house. Alia and Ryan come along and tell Tim's dad that dropping the charges aren't going to make a difference. Well, Alia does. This is news to Faye and Tim, but Tim's dad insists he's only thinking about Yasmin's mental health. Faye appears to call Alia a cow bag? 
She Fagot said something said, insulting. Faggot said in the, in the house while, while the adults are bickering, and she seems to call Alia a cowbag. Yeah. Hmm. Ryan uh, reminds Alia that Inman has told her a million times to keep her mouth shut. Yeah, and, and she, she can't do it. She just can't do it. Yeah. It's ridiculous how... <laughs> Ugh. Inside, Tim doesn't think Tim's dad can let Yasmin off the hook like this. Tim's dad refuses to be the person who sends his wife to prison. Yasmin isn't right in the head, and we can't abandon the ones that we love just because things get tough and he'd welcome her home. She belongs with him, and Tim is like, what the actual fuck? Later, Alia's on the phone to Yasmin, who isn't looking forward to her trial and just wants this whole thing to be over and done with. Maybe Tim's dad is genuine. Alia can't believe it. All this proves is that he still is able to manipulate and control her. She makes Yasmin promise that she won't go back to him, but Yasmin says there's a long way to go before anything like that can happen. On Friday, Yasmin's with her friend, the fellow prisoner, who I think her name is Lucy. Mm-hmm. She seems to know about Tim's dad, and Yasmin explains that he wants to drop the charges. Get out and get rid, is Lucy's advice. Yasmin has questions, and the prisoner says, you just leave that with me. Mm-hmm. So later in her cell, Lucy has found a phone for Yasmin in exchange for uh, some deodorant, biscuits, and a bag of sweets. Mm-hmm. Yasmin isn't so sure, but Lucy thinks this will help her break from Tim's dad's control. Tim's dad's control and she offers to uh, make sure the coast is clear. Right. At home, Tim's dad gets a call from Yasmin. She can't speak long, Tim's dad, she says. Lucy tells her to be strong. She tells him, this is uh, Yasmin, tells Tim's dad that she's not calling to make small talk. What's the deal with the testimony? And he confirms that's the case, but he might end up being charged with perjury. Yasmin doesn't know why he'd even think to do this. She mm. nearly killed him. Uh, that wasn't the Yasmin I know, he says. That was someone else but someone that he admits to helping to create. Yasmin thinks this is another one of Tim's dad's mind games. Tim's dad just wants her home and things will be different. Yasmin calls him deluded. How can he see a way forward for them? He says he'll get some professional help and he loves her. How can he make this right? Yasmin plays along. Why do you think you need help? She asks. He admits that everything that uh, she suffered, he suffered at the hands of Tim's mum. But he met her and felt hope. He was constantly worried that he'd lose her and then he'd lose that hope. And he apologises for not being what she deserves. And that's how we end this week's episodes. I am so fucking pissed. <laughs> I'm so fucking pissed because the police, you know, when Imran says, hey, this this guy, you know, made this call and everything. They act like they can't listen to it. Like they have no record of it. And like it's no big deal. When it is. A huge deal, especially since they'd already told him he could not speak to her. Yep. He should be charged. He's at the least and perverting the course of justice. And DCI Bangs, Fred Armisen in a dress, is just so sympathetic to Tim's dad in all of this and turning such a blind eye to all of the evidence stacking up otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like, she's... She's treating him like it's so sweet that he wants to get back with his wife. And she's gently saying, but she tried to kill you. And it's like, you know, maybe if you were a good detective, you'd be thinking, wait a second. Why is this guy acting this way? Mm -hmm. This doesn't this doesn't jive with with what we're talking about here. And he's been inconsistent all the way through. Absolutely. So this is just another red flag, isn't it? You would think. Hmm. You would think. But just the fact that. 
just like with the whole um, cameras in the house that the police, for some reason, weren't able to find. Despite them being... Like, sitting on top of a CD. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... The suspension of disbelief is just becoming less and less willing as the storyline moves on. And I'm just... I'm so I'm so tired of it. First of all, I I still think it's going to go to trial. I don't think, I don't think, the the CPS is going to just drop everything. No, and and at least at least they do that right. At least they have her saying to Tim's dad, "You can't stop this. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't testify, you can't stop this." If he refuses to take the stand, the the case does go away. Because there's no other witnesses. There's physical evidence, though. Oh, yeah, but there's no... There's, there's nothing to tie... Everything that's going to tie Yasmin it then becomes circumstantial, doesn't it? If there's no direct... She's confessed. Yeah, uh, I guess. They could put her on the stand. But she says that she did it in self-defence. Right. So she'd be let go. I don't know. I'm, there's part of me that's still worried that she's going to go back to him and if that happens I think I'm officially done with this storyline right yeah it feels at that point like they're just stringing it along for views and accolades and that's not cool I don't think I already kind of feel that way about the storyline I think the accolades are in jeopardy yeah if she goes back yeah if she goes back they're already in jeopardy let's be honest I think they've just fucked the whole thing up. I think they've already fucked this thing up, but that's just me. Well, we kind of thought that way about the stabbing, but I think they've kind of, they they turned at least part of that around. Meh. At least Tim's dad's not wearing that nappy on his neck anymore. Oh, thank God. Glad about that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice? No scar? Oh, he did. He does have a scar. Does he? Mm -hmm. Barely noticeable. (laughs) They did manage to get away with not having to do all that bruising. Though. Yeah, that's that's healing quite nicely. Yeah, let's put it that way. Maybe a little too <clears> nicely. <throat> anyway, Tim's dad, Tim coming round to to what Tim's dad is capable of at all. Faye is still very much team in, Tim's uh, dad. Team, team Tim's dad. That's not easy to say. Mm-hmm. Tim Tim feels like he's not got both feet in that camp well because he loves he loves sally and he's he's got to think sally is an intelligent sensible woman if you know there's there's got to be something maybe there but you know it's all going to uh it's all going to come out in the wash when 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 tim's mum shows up fingers crossed fingers Fingers crossed crossed for tim's mum yeah because that will blow everything out of the water. Because according to Tim's dad, mm-hmm. Tim's mom is dead. He's told Tim that his mom is dead. I don't think he has. I don't think he has. He's he's told her. He's told him that, uh, that she, she was... abused him. I right. don't think she told him that, that. That I don't think we've had any confirmation about her status. Well, we have. Tim has said that his mom is dead. Has he? I haven't, yeah. I haven't heard that either. It was a while ago. I don't think that happened. Hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happened in the past. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, 
Tim believes his mother is dead. Let's put it that way. Because if he didn't, if he believed his mother was still out there somewhere, you'd think that he would want to have some sort of contact with no, her. No, he doesn't because of how she treated Tim's dad. That, that's the line that's been pushed, I think. Mm. That's what we're being expected mm. to believe. Anyway, we'll see. you got somewhere to go. I'm going to keep you for something. No, I just don't like arguing with you over this. We're just discussing it. doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense? To argue about something that's fictitious. This is the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> you just figured that out. This is, this is what we do for an hour and a bit every Saturday morning. And have been doing for more than two years. It's yes, but Tim's dad, Tim's mum showing up will be great. And If she does. Um, I believe she will. There's no better opportunity for Tim's mum to show up. Because mm-hmm. when she does, shit just got real. Yeah. I've I've read speculation that she is turning up. I've also read speculation of something else happening in the storyline that I am very much against. But I'm I'm going to keep it that, at that and not reveal any possible spoilers or speculation. Moment of the week. What was your moment of the week? I think it involved Abby. Uh, yeah. Abby Abby and Jack, not the rap part, but the other one where he gives her the little speech about, you know, having never met his mom because his, his mom is dead. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's okay to miss people and stuff. His little speech was very nice. I liked that part. Yeah, that's moment of the week. Or is it Kirk's balls? <laughs> Kirk's balls. Well, we haven't given it to Abby in a while, and we love her. Well, we're not really giving it to Abby. We're giving it to Jack. Jack. And we've never given it to Jack. We've never given it to Jack. Jack and Abby. Okay. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. (laughs) Daniel. Doing the dishes. Daniel doing the dishes. (laughs) Daniel doing the dishes. (laughs) That's one. That's our boring moment of the week. If you've ever considered using split screen phone calls, you were wrong to think to do that. Right. But write and tell us why you even considered it. Remember when when TVs had that option where you could have like a picture in picture? I loved my picture in picture TV. It's so pointless. No, it was great because you could be watching, you're ready to change the channel when one of your programs starts, but you're in the middle of watching something else. Oh, I loved my picture-in-picture TV. You are what's wrong with society today. Anyway. And then you could see what was on the video. So you could be, you'd be watching uh, a regular TV and watching a, a wee soccer match. And, Sad. And the, the, the picture-in-picture. And then when somebody scored, you could just swap over very quickly and see what happened and jump back. Sad. It was magic. Sad. Anyway. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com. Uh, for email and that's also how you can leave a voicemail on Skype and drop a couple of nuggets into our virtual tip jar on PayPal. Yes. We're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and if you have the time and inclination a little rate and review on iTunes would be very much appreciated. Please. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back argumentative as ever (laughs) next week with more Talk of the Street. Cheerio. Bye.